So I've told this story before. Apologies, but uh, I think it's I think it works to illustrate the point that a friend of mine uh, from Mitchstown had twin boys, and they were very lively. They were very um, animated, the two of them. So she was in the kitchen one day. She was there. She was making dinner, and she noticed that the place was quiet, too quiet, because if you have twin boys, you're used to the sound of things breaking constantly. Uh, so she noticed that, that there was none of that happening. So if things are quiet, it means that they're either not present or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Now, they were supposed to be present, so they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. She looks, she looks out the back lawn, can't see them, goes on to the front of the house, looks out the front of the lawn, no sign of them. Comes back into the house, checks the playroom, no sign of them. Then she hears giggling from upstairs. So she heads up along the stairs and goes into the main bathroom up there. And the boys had discovered that uh, if you get a drinking straw, you can push one drinking straw into the other. So you can make a super long straw. So there were the two of them with their super long drinking straws, drinking straight out of the toilet. And uh, she stood there horrified at the thought that her sons, if they didn't get over this habit, would never get married. Um, that they would never really um, be able to function socially anywhere. Uh, so, so how on earth do you explain to six or seven-year-olds that that's just beyond disgusting and it has to stop right now? I mean, it's no point just roaring at them. I mean, so, so she was kind of, she was like, how often do you think you'd have to say to someone, excuse me, stop drinking from the toilet, stop it. You know, it's not the kind of thing that's, that, that you think you'll ever have to say. Um, but, so guys, do you, do you, are you thirsty? No? Do you want a Coke, a cold Coke from the fridge? Okay, okay. And then they drop their straws and come down. Point being, sometimes we're willing to accept or settle for... Uh, what we think will make us happy. What we think will satisfy our needs. When in fact what we want is something much better, but maybe just we don't feel that we can attain it, we don't feel it's available to us, we don't feel that, uh, that we can access it. And I think this happens in our, in our faith too, where we can accept a version of our faith which, which is a very, very pale reflection of what our faith actually is. So we can accept uh, a version of a relationship with God, which is a very, very inferior version of what it should be. Like even yesterday we were doing a school retreat, and it's, it's wonderful to be able to do this. It's wonderful to be able to talk to young people. And yet it's very saddening to hear what their questions are. Now again, I'm glad they ask them, but you would hope that they would know that they would already have certain elements of their faith well established and rooted, you know? So, like, and, and I said, they're, they're good questions, and I'm, and, and I'm glad they ask. Uh, but one of our uh, mission team was, was presenting creation and the fall, and then how, how, how uh, the Lord, how God, and his plan of salvation to redeem us because of the fall, how all that took place. Okay, so it's a very compact version of a summary of our faith. Um, and one of the girls asked afterwards, <clears throat> when she heard that this particular community member had spent time in university and was interested in science. She said, well, she was trying to piece these two together. Were you into your faith at the same time as you were into science? 
kind of the, the question being, surely you weren't. I mean, surely uh, if you're into science, then, then your faith and science, they're not going to work together because there's this idea that if, if you're smart and if you study, that uh, your faith is going to look ridiculous. So that these, that these things are mutually exclusive. It's either faith or science, but you can't put the two together. So, like, as I said, this, this the mission team member answered very uh, eloquently that no, that, that, that the more we discover in science, the more we, 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 we discover about our world and the human body and cells and atoms and quantum physics, the more we discover the intelligence of the creator. And even the Big Bang was first posited by, by a, a priest, uh, Father Georges Lemaitre, the idea that, that there can be a point, uh, an instant in which creation began. How is that incompatible with our faith? Now, we won't go into the whole Darwinism thing, we haven't time, but that, that the Big Bang identifies the, the, the time, the point in which everything went boom and came into existence. That's not incompatible with our faith. But anyway, okay, we, won't, we won't get off on a, on a tangent here. The point I'm, I'm making is that our, our faith the way we understand our faith is often so inferior to what it actually is. It's not contrary to reason. It's also not uh, a faith of negativity and a faith of thou shalt not. Because that's another kind of a question that comes up, you know what I mean? You seem to be kind of Catholic, but you seem happy. Yeah, well, well yeah, of course I'm happy. My faith makes me happy. It's not the opposite. It's not like faith just loads you with a whole pile of responsibilities and, and boundaries and just fetters your, your ankle to like a, a two-foot chain which doesn't allow you to go very far from the altar. You know, like that's, that's not our faith. Our, our faith is very often understood to be something negative and heavy and, and rule-laden when it's not. It's not. Our faith is a faith of the resurrection. Our faith is a faith of freedom. Our faith is a faith of healing. You know, it's a faith of the alleluia. Right, that that this that the, the the resurrection, the light, the life of Christ. This is our faith. But so often, we're when we think we're living the faith, we're still drinking it from the toilet. We're drinking this this really pallid, insipid, awful version of the faith, which doesn't have much to do with Jesus at all. Doesn't have much to do with, the, with the, what the essence of the faith is at all. We settle for some externals and and forget the heart. Forget the heart of what we're doing here. So Jesus calls us into a relationship with him. And I think this is, just, this is just key to getting our faith right. If I have a relationship with him, now I'm not saying, you know, don't get me wrong, we're not, we have to try and always maintain the, the, the balance between two, two extremes here. We're not saying that, you know, I have a personal relationship with the Lord so I can make up what the church believes. I'm not saying that. Uh, we're not saying that then you know you shouldn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Just do what the church teaches. Both extremes are bad. If we need a personal relationship with the Lord, and because we know Him and we love Him, we want to do what the church teaches. But we know the Lord, so it's not just because if you, if you just stick to the rules on 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 their own, I think your faith is going to be kind of miserable. And I think it could very e easily and quickly lead you into scrupulosity. And I would find it very unlikely that your children will follow your faith after you, because your faith will just seem to be this heavy burdensome, uh, rule-laden, uh, guilt-inspiring faith. And then, but then if it's all kind of all personal, then you've got no kind of, you have to make it all up for yourself. You've got no kind of 
creed. It's just entirely subjective. So, so it, it's, it's both. It's very Catholic approach. It's always both and, if possible at all. Personal relationship with the Lord. And because of that, we do what the church teaches. And then we begin to feel and experience and live the freedom that the faith gives us. The freedom to love, the freedom to forgive, the freedom to be healed. That, that, that light that illuminates our hearts when we are in moments of, of loneliness or desolation or abandonment, grief. We begin to experience this because I know the Lord who is God, who is healer, who is love. So in here, things change. And because here has changed, the way I live externally will change. But it starts here. So my, my prayer for, for, for myself today and for all of us is that we will really discover the depths of the beauty of our faith and not settle for a counterfeit version, not settle for, for toilet water when we're offered fine wine, but to open our hearts to, to learning ever more and entering ever more deeply into this relationship with the Lord and into the life of the church, that we can discover its healing power, its freeing power, and that indeed we can discover the heart of Jesus. Amen.